Welcome to Thrive Church. We are so happy to have you here. My name is Judah. I'm the lead pastor here at Thrive, and we welcome you to any of our campuses online or on TV, wherever you happen to be uh, experiencing this service. And we are in a series called No Longer Dead. And throughout this series, we have been exploring different resurrections throughout the Bible. So different uh, times where people were brought back to life again. The first of which, of course, was, was Jesus and his miraculous resurrection. How he died and was in the grave for three days and came back uh, and, and offers us resurrection power. Then last week we talked about the woman from Shunem and her son who had been promised to her and how he died and how she went and got the prophet Elisha. and He was brought back to life again. And today we're going to be looking at another uh, resurrection, but this one starts with an interruption. An inter- has anybody ever had an interruption before? Anybody ever been interrupted? If you have kids, like your life is pretty much an interruption, isn't it? I mean, it's like, you know, interruption after interruption after interruption. It seems like, like we're always being interrupted. We, we hate interruptions, don't we? And that, that's why, you know, even with, with like phones now, right? I mean, it's like, like why, why do people bother calling when a text would suffice, right? It's like, because it's an interruption. It's like you're call, it's like, it's an interruption. We don't like interruptions. How do we handle interruptions? Some of us, we handle them pretty well. Maybe uh, others of us, maybe we don't handle interruptions that, that well because it disrupts our life. We don't like being interrupted. So sometimes the the interruptions are more significant. Maybe it's an interruption in, in, in school. You know, you, you thought you could get further along, but, but you know, life happened and, and it was interrupted. Or, or, or work, you know, something happens there and, and your career path was, was interrupted, maybe because of kids or maybe because of, you know, some other situations, a sickness. Our life gets interrupted. Vacations get interrupted. All these things, you know, we end, end up experiencing interruption and nobody ever asks to be interrupted. We hate it when our, when our plans are, are broken. Just last week I had an interruption. Took the family to see, uh, to see a movie, the uh, Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, great, great, beautiful, spiritual movie, I'm sure. Um, and, uh, and so we're there seeing it. It was Judson's first movie that he'd ever been to. And we were excited to bring him to the movie. We go to the movie and we're watching it. We're having a great time. And, and, and normally he's like super good about this. But of course, halfway through the movie, he's like, I got to go to the bathroom, you know? And, and it's like, can you wait? No. It's like, we got to go. We got to go now. So it's an interruption. And so I'm like, okay, get up. Get in front of everybody. Everybody's like kind of a little annoyed that you're blocking their view. And it's an interruption. We don't like interruptions. Some of them are silly, simple ones like that. Others of them are, are physical interruptions, right? We, we end up with a, with a diagnosis that we weren't expecting, some physical ailment that we didn't plan on. Sometimes we get financial interruptions. Something happens in our life. Man, we were on track on track to, to retire at a certain age and to be financially free and, and we get an interruption in our life and now, now we get a setback. No one likes to be interrupted. In, in my last house that we had, uh, I was getting these interruptions all the time. And, and I don't know, whenever the guy um, you know, did the plumbing for the sink in the kitchen and, and happened to also install a garbage disposal on that, he did not think through, like, the things like, like how much a pipe needs to, to tilt, you know, as it's going down. And so every, I don't know, 
six months, nine months, maybe a year, I would get this call that our, you know, pipes are all clogged now. And it was an interruption. And, and you know, interruptions like that, they're frustrating because it's not like you can ignore them. And I say, well, you know what, I'll get to it next week. It's like, like you got to go there, I got to like rip open the ceiling and get there and get a snake. And I'm just, you know, mad at everything and mad at life and mad at the interruption because we don't like being interrupted. But here's the thing in your notes, interruptions don't catch God off guard. Interruptions don't catch God off guard. They, they never do. Like God knows what's going to happen. And the thing that seems like it's an interruption for you is never an interruption for God. Like God knows. He sees what's going on. He sees the situation. He knows about it even before it happens. You ever notice that, that almost every miracle and every story that Jesus did, every miracle, it almost always started with some kind of an interruption. You know, the, the very first miracle that Jesus did, Jesus was just hanging with the guys at a wedding. And they're just out there. They're having a good time. They're just, you know, celebrating with everybody else. And then, and then they run out of wine. And you know, what kind of wedding is it that it runs out of wine? And so, so mom comes over. He's like, Jesus, do something about it. And he's like, this is not my problem. Like, it's essentially what he says. And mom's like, no, you better do something about this. So, so he says, okay, fine. He's interrupted. And he gets some water, and he turns the water into wine. And we're like, wow, this is a great, a great miracle. But it started with an interruption. Most of the healing started with interruptions. Jesus is preaching, and everybody's getting hungry. And he's like, you know, getting interrupted by all these grumbling stomachs. And he, he multiplies fish and bread. It's an interruption. Well, here we see Jesus. He had just went across the big lake, and, and he cast all these demons out of a person. And this person was just like, you know, he was messed up. Jesus miraculously delivered him from the demonic attack that he was under. Jesus gets back in a boat, comes all the way across the lake again, brings the boat to shore, and this is where we pick up the story in Mark 5, verse 21. It says, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Imagine that. Like the guy doesn't get any peace and quiet. It's like, like he, he's there, he's in a boat, like he's coming across, and, and as soon as they get to the shore, it's like there, there's already a crowd gathered. The paparazzi's already there. They're already there to listen to him. Like, I don't even know if Jesus had a chance to get off the boat. Maybe he gets out, but, but, but they're crowded all around. This multitude of people, this large crowd. We don't know how big, but it was a large crowd. And they're gathered around him on the shore. It says, then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his, his feet. Now, it says here he was a leader of the local synagogue. Other translations say he was a ruler of the synagogue. Basically what he was, you know, every Jewish city or town would have a synagogue. And, and they would have somebody that was over the entire synagogue. So this person, you know, he was over all the other priests there. He was over everybody else that was there. And he would actually be the one who would kind of say, hey, you know what, at, at, at our you know, synagogue meeting, you're going to read this and you're going to share this. And he would kind of orchestrate the entire service. Not only that, he would also sit there and kind of evaluate and critique what was being said to ensure that it was both accurate towards the scriptures, accurate towards Jewish tradition, and he would kind of like make sure that what was being said was correct. So that's who this person was. He was the leader of the local synagogue. So everybody knew Jairus. Like everybody in the area, he was a well-known person, a person of means, a person with influence. He was the head, he was the leader here. And let's keep in mind also 
that many of the Pharisees, many of the religious leaders at this moment were planning the execution of Jesus. So, so they, there, there were lines that were being drawn. Many of them were saying, this guy is a heretic and we need to crucify him. And others were like, not so sure. But as you can imagine, the peer pressure, the ones who weren't quite so sure, they were often keeping their mouths shut because they didn't want to go up against the very strong you know, Pharisee leaders who were demanding that Jesus be executed. So here we see this leader of the synagogue. And now for him of someone of his stature, someone of his position to go and talk to Jesus would essentially be like a social and political suicide for him. Like, like this was just not something that he should be doing. And so he comes through, there's this large crowd, Jesus is on the beach, he's just got off the boat perhaps, he's there, Jairus comes through, and I can just imagine this large crowd just kind of parting. You know, like the Red Sea, they're just parting, and, and Jairus is coming through with his entourage. Everybody's like, wow, Jairus is coming. What's Jairus going to do? You know, is he going to come after Jesus? Is he going to try to trick Jesus? What's he going to do? What's he going to do? And so everybody's moving aside because this important person's coming through. And then it says, what does it say? It says that he fell at his feet. Or, or, or another translation is that he throws himself at his feet. He like jumps down on the ground at Jesus' feet. What would bring a man like this to the feet of Jesus? As the leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. This is back in verse 22 again. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying. The original language basically means that, that she has only maybe a few hours, she, she's at, at the end of her life, like they knew she was dying. My little daughter is dying. He said, please come and lay your hands on her, heal her so that she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed crowding around him. He, this guy interrupted Jesus. Jesus was already kind of being interrupted, right? He just gets off the boat and now there's already a crowd of people that are wanting his attention. And he begins to talk to them and, and he's, he's teaching them and now he's interrupted by this, this leader, Jairus, because his 12-year-old daughter was dying. At this point, for Jairus, nothing else really mattered to him. As you can imagine, if you have children, nothing else matters in this situation. His rank doesn't matter. His position doesn't matter. And he goes and he throws himself. He bows down at the feet of Jesus. This is astounding that he did this because this was forbidden in the Jewish culture. It was forbidden for a Jew to bow to any other person or any object. They could not because it was considered an act of worship and they were only supposed to worship God. And here comes the leader of the synagogue and he's bowing in front of Jesus. Man, this was, this was a, an astounding thing. This was unheard of. He humbled himself in order to take this posture. Essentially what he was doing when he threw himself at Jesus' feet is he was acknowledging the authority of Jesus. He was showing his own humility, saying, I am less than you are. Can you please help? He was offering worship. He was surrendering control. And essentially, he was trusting God for the outcome of his daughter's life. Must have been pretty desperate. Must have been pretty desperate. He would do anything at this point. Many of us would as well. He was willing to sacrifice his reputation. He was willing to sacrifice his position in the community. He was willing to sacrifice his position as a leader of the synagogue. If only Jesus could help. And then guess what? Jesus agrees. Jesus is like, sure, let's go. And he goes with him. This is the great thing about God. See, it's nice to know that we have a God that doesn't just abandon us. 
See, in your notes, God goes with us through our difficulties. God goes with us through our He's not a distant God. Jesus is like, yeah, let's go. Everyone follows. They're like, we're not going to miss this. We're not going to miss this miracle. They've been seeing miracles happen. They've been seeing people get healed. And now here's a prominent person, and his daughter is sick. They're like, yeah, we're, we're going to watch this. And Jesus is like, let's go. God is not a distant God. He's one who goes with us through the difficulties, through the hardships of life, as it says in Psalm 23, verse 4, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. You're close beside me. God is close beside us in the difficulties. God is always with us in the hardships. And Jairus, in his time of tragedy, in his time of desperation, Jesus is walking beside him. And Jesus is, is going with him. And they're going, they're making their way, the crowd is following, they're going on. And then it happens. The interruption within the interruption. It's like multiple layers of interruptions here. And Jesus is walking along. They're all walking. They're just going to Jairus' house, and then Jesus stops. He's like, who touched me? They're like, what do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean, who touched me? He's like, who touched me? Somebody touched me. And they're like, yeah, of course. Like, there's tons of people all around you. Of course somebody touched you. Jesus, can we just get moving here? Can we just get to Jairus' house and and do the miracle? Make her better. Everybody's going to cheer. Everybody's going to be happy. You're going to have a good position because everybody's going to respect you. And Jesus like, no, somebody touched me. And he looks around. Everybody's looking around. And there's a woman. Many of you know the story. woman with an issue of blood, a hemorrhage of blood. She'd been bleeding for 12 years, had this hemorrhage. It it ostracized her from society, most likely ostracized her from her family. She'd suffered. She'd spent all of her money on doctors, and she didn't get any relief. And, and, And she was unclean, according to Jewish tradition, she couldn't touch anyone. She couldn't you know, touch any uh, food or clothing that anybody else had because that would also make them unclean. And, and, and she just has this idea, if I could just touch the, the hem of Jesus' garment, then maybe I could be healed. And it was a preposterous thing because she knew that if she touched him, she would make him ceremonially unclean. But she's like, I'm just going to take this risk. I'm going to go and, and, and I'm going to touch him. And she touches him and in that moment, she's healed. And Jesus is like, who touched me? Everybody's like, tons of people touched me. He's like, yeah, yeah, but somebody specifically touched me. Like, everybody's been touching me, but they've not been expecting anything. Other people have been touching me, but they haven't had faith for anything. Other people have been touching me, but they're not trusting me or believing me for anything. They're not reaching out for healing, but somebody touched me with faith. Somebody touched me expecting something, and she's like, it was me. And Jesus goes over, and they start to chat. And she's telling him the story. Yeah, you know, I've had this thing, and, and I just thought maybe I could touch your hem, and I did it, and now I'm healed. And they're over there having a good time. They're just talking. I, I don't know how long they're talking. Maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes. Like, I don't know. They're just talking. He's like, yeah, this is great. And like, oh, did you, you know, it's like talk about this. Hey, you, you, you can go live your life now. You can have a family now. You can do all this stuff. And they're having a good time. They're having a nice time. But what about Jairus? Right? Like, Jairus is over there like, Hello? <laughs> My daughter, she's dying. What's going through his mind? Like, you know, I mean, like, honestly, I mean, who does she think she is? I'm sure people in the crowd were thinking this. Like, who does she think she is? Like, like why is Jesus stopping for her? She's a nobody. She, she's unclean. Like, like she, she's, she's over there. She's 
you know, filthy. She has this condition, and Jesus could have ignored her. In fact, he could have ignored her and overlooked her, and no one would have blamed him for doing so. They would have just said, yeah, that's, that's what he should do because she's unclean, and, and her touching him would make him unclean. And, well, you know, she's just, uh, she's just you know, somebody that doesn't deserve attention here. And Jesus stops for her. Why? Because in your notes, Jesus has time for people everyone else overlooks. Isn't that good? Because I think a lot of times, many of us, we felt overlooked in life. We felt overlooked. Maybe it's as simple as being in school and, you know, you're, you're the last person who gets picked for the team. Or, or maybe it's something else. You get overlooked for the job promotion. You get overlooked for the, for the promotion. You get overlooked for the scholarship. You get overlooked for, for this or that or any other thing. You get overlooked for the situation. See, Jesus has time for people that everyone else overlooks. If everybody looked at Jairus and this woman, they would have said, Jesus, you're better off spending your time with Jairus. He's the one who's more important here. But Jesus, you know, he came for the sick. He came for the hurting. He came for the broken. He came for the messed up, the people like you and the people like me. So here he is. So Jesus is over there talking. They're just like chatting, having a good time. They're bonding, you know. They're having a beautiful time together. Oh, this is great. She's thanking him. And, and it says in verse 35 of Mark 5, it says, while he was still speaking to her, Messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. No use troubling the teacher now. Everything just came crashing down. Everything came crashing down. He says, your daughter is dead. Now, now imagine what's going through Jairus' mind and everybody else's mind, right? Your daughter is dead. I love this next line, verse 36. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. But that third word there, overheard, right? Jesus overheard them. What does that imply to you? That implies that Jesus isn't even really next to Jairus right now. Like Jairus is over there. Jesus is over here having a conversation. And he, you ever overhear somebody? It's like, like you're eavesdropping. Like you're not in the conversation, but you kind of hear them. And, and somebody says, your daughter is dead. And Jesus, like, he, he hears it. He overhears it. And, and he's like, hey, 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 Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. I mean, I mean like think of like, like the contrast of what's going on here. Like Jairus is like, like what do I do now? Should I mourn or should I be excited? Like, like, what do I do? He's saying to have faith. They're saying my daughter's dead. Everybody must have gasped. How could Jesus have let this happen? How could Jesus have been so careless? How could he have, how could he have let, let Jairus' daughter die like this? So this all implies Jesus is off to the side. And, and he was first, he was important, but now he's on the sideline. And his daughter was sick, but now she's dead. And many of us, we face interruptions in life we face sicknesses we face death of loved ones we face you know layoffs at work we face failing out of school we face difficulties and for Jairus life came crashing down in this moment and you can imagine the if onlys if only Jesus hadn't stopped Maybe the daughter would still be alive. If only this woman hadn't come up and interrupted Jesus, maybe we would have seen an amazing miracle happen. If only, if only, if only this woman didn't interrupt. And Jairus risked everything for this, and now his daughter is dead. Well, we all face interruptions in our life. We all face difficulties, don't we? We all face these things. We all face setbacks. But in your notes, our problems are not too big for God. That's good to know, that our problems are never too big for God and that Jesus doesn't panic, right? Jesus doesn't panic. Like in the middle of the situation, they're like, hey, Jairus, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Stop bothering the teacher. And Jesus is like, hey, man, hey, hey, what does he say? 
don't be afraid. Just have faith. He doesn't say, oh, my goodness, I screwed up. I should have I went. I'm so sorry, Jairus. I should have got there quicker. I'm sorry. He's like, no. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, don't worry. Be happy. <laughs> He's like, don't worry. I got this. Don't worry. Have faith. It's going to be okay. Don't worry about this. And here's the thing. I believe that Jesus sees the situation you're in right now. And is saying the very same thing. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. I got this. Have faith. It's going to be okay because I'm here with you. See, Jairus, he, he forgot for a moment that he's in the crowd with Jesus, that Jesus is literally right there. Then, okay, so let's go on. Verse 37. When Jesus stopped the crowd, I, this is just interesting to me. Jesus stops the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And uh, so, so, you know, nine of these disciples, in other words, I, I kind of think that it's like they're running security now. Jesus is like, you stay here, keep the crowds away. Just keep everybody back, right? They, they're kind of giving us a hard time. Just keep everybody over here. Peter, uh, Peter, James, and John, let's go. I don't know why he picked them. Maybe it's because they were the ones that had enough faith to see a resurrection. I don't know. He says, Peter, James, and John, you guys come with me. He says, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? And it's interesting. It's like they're already weeping and wailing. Like, we don't know how long this journey was. Like, she might have been dead for a little while, but, but they were pretty quick in getting, you know, family and friends. They'd even have professional mourners that would come in that would mourn for the, for the death of someone. So they're in there. They're, they're weeping. They're wailing. And, and Jesus is saying, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And it's kind of like a weird and kind of like a, I don't know, kind of disrespectful thing to say, you know. Like somebody just died and Jesus comes in and is like, don't worry, she's only asleep. Well, you can imagine the response right then. It says, the crowd laughed at him. They stopped their crying. They started laughing at Jesus. And then he made all of them leave. He's like, everybody get out. Then he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. And holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. It's interesting how they put the actual words in there that he said. You know, not translated. It's like, I said, Talitha Kum. He says this to her. Little girl, get up. Very likely the same thing that, that her father would say to her every morning when it's time to wake up. Talitha Kum, little girl, get up. And Jesus is saying, little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. And they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. People were laughing at him. People were laughing at him. And he goes in there and says, little girl, little girl, get up. Jesus steps in and changes everything. Everything changes. And you notes, Jesus changes any situation he's invited into. See, he was invited into the situation and he changed. I, you know something I, I just noticed for the first time, and it's not like super profound or anything, but I just thought it was kind of cool. Said there, the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. She's 12 years old, right? The woman with the issue of blood, how long she had her issue of blood? For 12 years. I'm like, wow. Like imagine that. Like almost the same time this girl was born, this woman started hemorrhaging blood. And for 12 years, she had been hemorrhaging. And this girl was living that entire life in 12 years. And in one day, and in one day, Jesus did a miracle, and he healed them both. He healed the woman. He brought the girl back to life again in a supernatural way. He interrupts the interruption 
Like, like Jesus had been interrupted and interrupted, and all these interruptions were layering, and Jesus is like, I'm going to interrupt the interruption here. And he speaks over her, and he speaks life. He says, little girl gets up, and she gets up. And I believe that God is speaking over your life now. And he's saying, don't worry, I want you to believe. Don't worry, I want you to get up. I want you to have faith. Get up. Trust me that I am in the situation, that I'm going with you. Now, this doesn't mean that every sickness is going to go away. It doesn't mean that, that every dead person is going to resurrect. But it does mean this, that God's got this, that he is in control in the situation, that he is there with us, that he is in the situation, that he knows the situation, that interruptions are not too much for him. And you know, it's interruptions do not overpower God. No interruption can overpower God. God is never caught off guard by the situations that we face in our life. The things that catch you off guard never catch God off guard. It does not get in his way because he is in control. When he sees the situation, it's not over yet. See, Jairus, this is the thing. Jairus could have walked away when that woman interrupted his plans. Imagine that. He's like, like oh, you know what? Oh, you're too busy for me now? You know what? I shouldn't have come here in the first place. He could, have, he, could have left. he could have left as soon as he found out his daughter was dead. He could have been like, no, Jesus, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. You were no help. He could have left there. And if he did, he would have missed the miracle that Jesus had planned. Many of us, we face interruptions in life, and we're frustrated by the interruptions. We're frustrated by the disruptions. We're frustrated by the inconvenience, the troubles, the things that are coming at us. But instead, maybe we need to keep our eyes on Jesus and just trust as he's saying to us, just keep strong. Don't worry. Have faith. Just believe. See, Jesus went with him. Jairus wasn't doing this on his own. He wasn't alone in the situation. His life was was disrupted, but he was with the person who was greater than the interruption itself. He was with the one who could interrupt the interruption. When interruptions happen, when disruptions come, don't rely on yourself. Because in your notes, you may be able to control your situation. I'm sorry, you may, may not be able to control your situation, but you can control your response to it. You might not be able to control what happens to you, but you can control how you respond to it. You can control how you react to the situations in life. And here, Jairus, in the situation that he was in, certainly, certainly he was frustrated, certainly he was probably angry, certainly he was hurting and broken inside, but, but he chose his response and he continued on with Jesus. He could have allowed himself to get lost in panic and lost in fear and lost in doubt, but instead he listened to the words of Jesus, which was, just keep on trusting, just have faith. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Had Jairus walked simply by sight, it would have just been another death. But he walked by faith. Do we walk by faith? Faith, not in an outcome, but faith in a Savior. Faith in Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, I I got this. No, no, you, you don't got this, but God's got this. God's got this. He's bigger than the problems that we face. It's not about you because you can't handle it on your own. I can't handle it on my own because I'm not strong enough and you're not strong enough. But greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that rose this girl from the dead is the same spirit that is alive and living inside of each and every one of us. Man, that is something to rejoice about. 
So even in sickness, we can have trust. Even in hardship, we can have trust. Even in the interruptions, we can trust him. Has fear and doubt come against your mind? Does your life feel like it's being interrupted and you don't know where to turn? Can we listen to the words of Jesus where he says, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't worry about this. I got this. See, we can choose to trust. We can choose to believe. We don't have to be afraid because God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. He's given us power and love and a sound mind. And we can rise above the interruptions. We can rise above these things that are coming against us. And when the interruptions come, we don't have to focus and fixate on what is interrupting, but we focus and fixate our eyes on Jesus, knowing, hey, if I'm with Jesus, miracles happen, and I don't know the outcome, but I know that he's there with me. He's there in the valley of the shadow of death, even in the darkest days. He's with me, his rod and staff, they're with me, they comfort me, he's guiding me, and, and I'm gonna stick with him regardless of the situation. And that's what Jairus chose. He chose to walk in faith, and as we go through our lives, whatever it is that we're facing, whatever depression, whatever hardship, whatever addiction that we may be facing, instead of putting our eyes on those things, let's keep our eyes on Jesus, the one who can look at this girl and say, little girl, get up. And I believe he's telling each of us to get up, to stand up, to rise above these things that are trying to hold us down because he is the resurrection, he's the life, and he's the one who can breathe life into our weary bodies. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness to us and that you are who you say you are. Lord, let us trust in you more. Let us have more faith. Just increase our faith even right now. Just let our faith grow just a little bit so that we can trust you. So that we can trust you in the financial problems. We can trust you in the disappointments. We can trust you in the fears. We can trust you and the doubts. We can trust you even in the pain. God, we put our trust in you. If if you're here and you don't know Jesus is your Lord, please don't let another day go by. It says in Romans that if you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, that you can be saved, won't you call on his name? Say, Jesus, I believe in you. You are my Lord. I'm going to put my eyes on you. Lord, help us have the faith like Jairus. That we put aside our reputation, we put aside our role, our rank, we put aside everything else, and we just choose to put ourselves at your feet. I'm going to put myself at your feet. I'm going to yield my will to you. I'm going to turn my life over to you. I'm going to trust you that you know the outcome, that you can bring dead things to life again, that you can heal the sick, that you can bring restoration, that you are faithful and you are good, and the interruptions of life do not catch you off guard. We can put our faith in you. So, God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your strength. We thank you that you are here with us now, that you've never left us, you've never forsaken us, not even for a moment have you abandoned us. So we thank you for that. We praise you, and we put our trust in you. We know that you are good. You are the resurrection. You are the life. And the same spirit that brings dead things to life again is inside of us. So we thank you for that resurrection power. We thank you that you've brought us to life. We thank you that you've made us new, that you've given us a new heart. You've given us a new spirit, that you've made us right with you. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.